Welcome to the FPC Thomasville podcast. We believe human life has a designer, so learning to live by design will help you thrive within all your spheres of influence. Today, Dr. Tim Philston will share a message about seasons of convergence as part of our seasons sermon series. Frederick Beekner once said, the place God calls you is where your deep gladness and the world's great need meet. As much as I love this quote, a lot of life really just feels like work. The cheese is always moving, markets shift. Just when you develop the capacity to hit the ball, the rules of the game change. Along the way, what is the difference in us that helps us make a real difference in the world? Let us consider these things together. series, season series, and this morning we're going to take a look at how, how do we have a life that's really worth following in a lot of ways, from season, in season, out of season, how to have a life worth following by having a life that is weighty, a life that has some gravity to it. You know, you've heard the term gravitas. How do you get that gravitas in your life? I remember... Um, the moment I became a father, you know, you, you, become, you become a parent at the moment of conception, but I remember the moment I became a father, and that is when they put the weight of that child, child into my hands, and I felt the weight of that child. Ladies, you all get to experience this throughout the course of, of your pregnancy, uh, all the kicking and all of the growth and fluttering and everything that's going on. We, we actually thought with the, with the triplets there was a soccer match going on in there. But so, so I, you know, we, we, kind of, we kind of saw the signs and, and knew that it was real. But what really brought it home to me was when they, they took that, that first child and, and put her into my hands. And I felt the weight of that baby. There was just something about that, the weight of that child, that brought the reality home to me. It was a transforming experience because the reality of the worth of a single individual, there are moments when we get that, and there are so many moments when we forget that. Do you really get your weight and your worth? Let's talk about how God builds greater weight and worth into your life. From the Word of God, Revelation chapter 1, starting with verse 9. Revelation, last book in the Bible, John's Revelation, starting with verse 9. Would you turn now with me in your Bible, and let's look at it together. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And in the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands and the seven stars, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May God bless us this morning through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, bless us now through your word, not only to understand it with our minds, but to believe it in our hearts that we may live it through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I love that old, maybe a 10-year-old commercial. Um, it's a shipping company, and they're gathered around a table. They're trying to figure out how to save money, this staff or the, this board. And one of the guys uh, who looks like he works in the mailroom says, you know, why don't, we, uh, why don't we make a deal with a logistics company and save 10% on our shipping? And there was silence. Nobody said anything. And then, and then it looked like the guy who's the chairman of the board said, why don't we outsource uh, our logistics to this shipping company and, and save 10% on our shipping? And, the, and, and everyone says, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea, right? The whole table erupts, you know. And the, and the guy who first said the same thing, he said, you just said what I said, but you went like this. And he said, no, I went like this. You know, sometimes it depends on who's saying it. There's a certain weight and worth that sometimes we get and sometimes we don't get it. Do you get the weight and worth of your life? Now, how do we live into that more? How do we embrace and have a greater confidence in the value of your life here and now? And, and the answer we'll see is renewal. Renewal as a way of life. One of my professors, um, kind of a famous old guy once upon a time, wrote a book called Renewal as a Way of Life. We're going to look at renewal as a way of life. How God renews us through suffering and how God renews us through patience. Those two ways that God renews us. First of all, suffering can renew your vision. It can renew your vision when, when suffering turns your face towards reality. All right, so you've you got to get this now. Suffering, when you suffer, doesn't, sometimes it grinds you down. Suffering can just grind you down. It can make you simply question. It can make you despair. But suffering, when suffering turns your face 
towards reality. It can renew you. It can renew what? Your vision. Revelation is a vision. Let me, let me see if I can tease this out for you a little bit more before we explore it. Now, you got to get this firmly in your mind. Why does the scripture say, better, like Proverbs says, better to go into a house of mourning than a house of feasting? Why does it say that? And the answer is, because in mourning, you look at the big picture. And in the feasting, you're just living in the moment. In the house of mourning, you see the whole. In the house of feasting, you see just the part. You see, what, 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 what God is doing through suffering is to turn your face to face reality. And the reality here of Revelation, John's Revelation, is a vision of what already is and yet what is yet to be full, all right? So there is something that has taken place. There is a, a, a first fruits resurrection. Jesus has, has died and, and he lives eternally. And, and John is given a vision of Jesus. And what we're seeing here is that through suffering, God can renew your vision for what life is all about, for ultimate things. And when that happens, your life begins to take on greater weight and worth. Are you with me now? Is that enough of an introduction to that first? Suffering renews your vision. So let, let's take a look at this. So, so where you, here's where we see this in the text. He's talking to the angels of the seven churches, Ephesus and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And what he's saying is, we don't go looking for suffering. And so I'm just going to speak in code here to you. I'm going to speak to the messenger. Angel means messenger, right? And so there are key figures at each of these churches along the trade route in what is modern-day Turkey. And these seven churches are along the trade route that if, if, if you wanted to capture or understand what, what an entire region is like, uh, you, would, you would look at this circuit, this trade route circuit. And these seven churches and these seven key figures, these messengers within each of these churches are receiving a message. But why is he speaking in code? Because there is great persecution. John himself has been uh, laboring by himself, isolated on the island of Patmos. Why? Well, he tells us why. Verse 9, because of the gospel on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Just simply being a Christian brought on persecution, suffering. It, the word it, it says is tribulation, but it can be in other translations. It's just simply translated simply suffering. And so at, at this time in the early church, when, when, when the, the message of the gospel was going out, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, as it was making its way out, it was threatening kingdoms, threatening Rome, threatening the, the earthly powers. Because what we're talking about is a kingdom not of this world, that you're a citizen of a kingdom that's coming but already is. And so when you start hearing that, if 
if you live in an, an age of kings and kingdoms, speaking of kings and kingdoms other than you, if you're the king, is a threat. So what's happening here is that the church is suffering for the gospel. Suffering for the gospel. And as a result, their vision of what's really coming, what's really real now and what's really coming, this vision of the risen Christ begins to become weightier in their life. Now, I assume when I get up here and I, when, when I spend the, the, a good part of this week just crafting a message so that we can spend time, that significant time, in the Word together, I assume something about you all, that you know that you're being formed and you're not done. You're still in the oven, okay? You're half-baked, And somebody said that a Christian is like a tea bag. Not much use until he spent time in hot water. Well, that's what suffering does for you. It begins to bring this message of the gospel, this hope of things present and things to come. It begins to marinate in your life in a way that makes it real to you and more real to the people around you. And it brings weight and worth to your life. Let me read what's going on alternatively today, which, which could bring on a season of greater persecution. But it is, it is a drift, a drift in our culture, right? Mae West said, I used to be Snow White, but I drifted, right? That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a cultural drift. This is what Ross Douthat said in his book, Bad Religion, How We Became a Nation of Heretics. Okay? Our culture has few taboos that can't be violated. Now, it's hard to understand because he's using a double negative. We, we, we have very few taboos that, anymore at all, right? There are very few taboos. You can't violate any taboos because we hardly have any. And our establishment has largely given up on setting standards in the first place, except where Islam is concerned. There, the standards are established under threat of violence and accepted out of a mix of self-preservation and self-loathing. That's the doctrine of works. Self-preservation and self-loathing. This is what decadence looks like. It's a frantic coarseness that, quote unquote, bravely trashes its own values and traditions and then knuckles under swiftly to totalitarianism and brute force. Is that described today or what? We're trashing our own values but we're knuckling under to totalitarian values. Why does that happen? When we trash our own values, when we, when, we, when we loose the ties to the things that secure us, you still want security. And so people fly to socialism. People fly to traditions that are much more heavy-handed 
like Islam. Instead, we need to be renewed in our vision. We need to have such a resonant sense of the kingdom that we're a part of already, but a kingdom that isn't fully realized, that we live it through suffering in such a way that people see the weight and worth of the message lived out in us. It's like a quotation I've, I've, I've used several times. I, you know, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun. Remember this? I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun, not only because I see it, but because through it or by it, I see everything else. You see, suffering begins to renew our vision to where we see with different eyes. This is what's happening in the book of Revelation. By the way, if you ever say, refer to Revelation, use only one, singular, right? There are no revelations. It's not revelations, okay? It's revelation. It's John's revelation of what? Of Jesus, of the reality of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. It's not the book of Revelations. It's one revelation, and through suffering, you're being renewed. It, it's, it's very much like, like this picture. There was a, a man who was watching a, a caterpillar try to break out of this chrysalis, right? This, this webby thing that forms around a caterpillar. And then, you know, there's this transformation, this metamorphosis that takes place. But what I didn't know is that the key part of the wings of a butterfly working is the process of suffering. Trying to push its way out of the chrysalis brings the fluids necessary to the development of those wings into the vascular system of the wings. And so there was a man, there's a story of a man who watched this, this struggle taking place and he tried to open up the chrysalis a little bit and let, let this, this creature out. And pathetic creature that it was for the rest of its life walked around without its wings working, dragging them behind him because he didn't recognize the importance of suffering in the process of becoming who he was. You know, that's you. You see, the suffering in your life, we often just, we camp out on it and we, and we question, why, Lord, why me? We feel sorry for ourselves and we don't look to what he's doing in it and through it, what he's capable of it. You need to know ahead of time that God purposes difficulty in your life for your benefit. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Fear not. Scripture says over and over again, even in this vision, Jesus is saying to John, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what you're dealing with. Don't be afraid of your isolation on this island. Don't be afraid of the vision that's before you. I am at work in and through the worst parts of your life to bring about the renewing vision that will resonate within you in such a way that you'll live it and believe it and have confidence in it. Do you have that? Do you have that? What you're going through right now? Can you make the connection? Can you read the book of Revelation? I mean, there's a little bit of a code here, right? Now, this isn't an allegory, y'all. This is the worst, uh, this is the, 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 the worst translated or interpreted, that is not translated, but interpreted book of the Bible. People 
do all kinds of crazy stuff with this thing. These, the, John is trying to encourage people in the midst of persecution, real people. We can't make it say stuff it doesn't say. If they didn't understand it at the time, then it wasn't said. It didn't, it, it, what it means had to mean something to the people. This is a letter to seven churches. It's an open letter to seven churches to, to encourage them along the trade route of Asia Minor, which is now Turkey, to encourage them because they are conspicuous. They are, they are out in the open. They are, they are leading the way for the gospel. And, and John is saying, be encouraged, be renewed to the vision of what already is and yet hasn't been fulfilled yet. That through suffering, God is bringing about a resonant vision within you. He's sending those fluids to your wings. He's transforming you. Did you come here to get shaped this morning? Are you coming, are you coming to your scriptures in the morning to be shaped? Do you know that you're being shaped? Today is Reformation Sunday. Every year we celebrate it. You're being reformed. And, and what the scripture is saying is suffering brings about that reformation. But not only that, patience daily can renew your vision and bring weight and worth to your life. Not just suffering, but, but you're embracing a disciplined path, a daily path of discipline. Do you have one of those? What's your pattern? You spend time in the word. Have you developed a prayer life? Do you know how important it is that you gather with the people of God on a weekly basis? Are you in a small group? Are you developing community of people that really know what's going on? Not just what you want them to see, but who you really are. Are there people in your life who can speak into your life? Are you developing? In other words, are you forming spiritually? You're not done. God's not done with you. And see, so through patience, you know, look back at verse nine. It says, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation, that is suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance. Enduring what? Enduring the already but not yet. That's where we live. We have a promised kingdom. You're citizens in that kingdom, but it hasn't yet fully been realized. And so along the way, in season and out of season, do you have a discipline where you're putting one foot in front of the other in terms of your faith because you're being formed spiritually? See, when you do that, the gospel works its way further into your life. Let me tell you about Jack Eckerd. You've heard of Eckerd Drugs. Jack Eckerd became a Christian way into his life. And, uh, and he went... And, and was spending some time uh, with a number of, of kind of famous Christians who were trying to build into him the idea that, hey, look, there, there's, a certain, there's a certain new vision that you should have for your life that develops daily through disciplines. And he said, okay, I got it, I got it. Well, he went into his stores and he saw a Playboy and Penthouse behind the counter. And he said... Uh, he asked, he went home and he, and he called up, uh, you know, his, his chief of, of finance, his chief financial officer. He said, how much, how much 
do we make on that, on those, those uh, magazines every year? And he said, millions. He said, well, we need to remove them from our stores. He said, you're kidding me. You're going to give up? I mean, I'm talking about you're netting millions on those. He said, we need, to, we need to give them up. They need to be out of my store. Why did he do that? I mean, he had run Necker Drugs for many, many years. He saw with different eyes. Through the discipline, the daily discipline in the spirit. You see, I think a lot of us have arrested development. <laughs> and everyone, in some degree, to some degree, has some arrested development. I think a lot of people stop growing in high school. I really do think so. I think a lot of people stop growing in adolescence. They, they park it in adolescence. Just ask your spouse. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, you're an adolescent. You didn't come here to be offended, did you? This is not you. This is everybody else. I'm talking about everybody else, not you. I think we do have arrested development. Do you know why? We get hurt and we stop risking emotionally. And when you stop risking emotionally, you stop growing spiritually. When you stop risking emotionally, you stop growing spiritually. Why do we stop risking emotionally? We get hurt and we hide. And John is saying, look, you need to be always having a revolution. Here's how G.K. Chesterton put it. He said, look, if you want a white post to stay white and not turn gray, you have to always be painting it. You see that? If you want a white post or a white fence to stay white and not turn gray, you have to regularly be painting it. You have to get up every day. You've got to preach yourself the gospel every day. You've got to live the gospel every day. You have to have a certain one foot in front of, your, uh, of another kind of faith in order to continue to grow and to be formed. The, the, great, uh, the great Reformation slogan is, is Ecclesia Reformata Semper reform, Reformanda. The church reformed and always reforming. Now, the problem is, is that in the mainline church, what they, the way that was interpreted was the church needs to always be reforming so that we're always staying relevant. So we need to change what we believe. We need to change our values. Like Ross Douthat was saying earlier, we need to just sort of trash our values so that we line up with what's going on in culture so we stay relevant, so we'll survive as an institution. No. The rest of it is according to the word of God. What you see in this vision of, of, of Jesus Christ is weird, is it not? It's weird. Let's admit it. I mean, he's got a sword coming out of his mouth, people. I mean, did you notice that part? A two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. That's strange. What's happening? What's it, what's it mean? You see, we're being reformed according to the word of God. What is the two-edged sword? What, is it, what does it say in, in Hebrews about a double-edged sword? It, it, says, it says that the word is like a double-edged sword. It's always ready for battle. It's always ready to do what it's supposed to do. It's sharp. It can cut. In, in another place, it says that, that it's like a, it's like a, uh, a scalpel that knows that what, is neat, what is living tissue and important and what is cancerous tissue or, or dead tissue that needs to be cut away. It's that precise. And so the, the living parts of you and the dead parts of you need to be separated on a daily basis. See, this image is, is like what Flannery O'Connor said about her character. She's, she's the greatest Southern writer, I believe, from Southwest Georgia, Flannery O'Connor. 
short story uh, author. She said, when people have trouble listening, when they're having trouble hearing, you have to draw large and startling figures to shout at them. I think we're being shouted at in the book of Revelation. I think Jesus is raising his voice saying, look, look at this vision. Be renewed in this vision. Look back at verse 16. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp and two-edged sword, and from his face, it was shining, shining like the sun at full strength. Do you have this vision? You see, Revelation, according to Karl Barth, Revelation is always about getting the vision of God into your life, into flesh, incarnate. In other words, what is God's message to all the people in your life? What is his message? What is his weighty, worthy message of hope, of things to come? It's you. It's you. You're the message. You're the living hope. You know, there are only three places in the scriptures that call us Christians. And it was meant as an insult. You know, because Christian, it means it's sort of like little Christ. All these little Christs running around. And the early church embraced it. Said, yep, we're going to lean into it. We're going to own it. This is what the book of Revelation is about. And so, in the, the close of this season's series... Recognize we're called to live into the vision of this, this, this living hope in season and out of season. And I want to invite you to think about it in, in terms of two seasons. These two seasons. As you go and at the end of your life. As you go and the end of your life. What's it look like as you go? What's it look like around the lunch table? What are you bringing there? What are you bringing to that table in the cafeteria at school? What's it look like around your boardroom table? What's it look like around your dinner table? What's it look like as you go? I mean, it can be awkward. It can be difficult. It can invite uh, suffering and difficulty and tribulation to make some kind of stand for what you believe. But y'all, I mean, our culture is seriously adrift. And, you know, it's like that frog in the kettle. Um, you know, you don't notice because the temperature is just slowly going up. And we, we need to be, along the way, living a renewed vision daily. And, and finally, at the end of your life. That's the second season, at the end of your life. What's your vision for your retirement? What is it? What's it look like? What's it look like out there? I mean, what, what are you plant? What are you hoping for? What's your number that you're trying to get to? I mean, I mean you know, I, I'm kind of mocking it a little bit because I think, I think retirement, our vision of retirement is kind of pathetic. It's just like, all right, it's gin and tonic. That's, that's our vision of retirement. It is. Let me give you a vision of retirement. 
It's a 77-year-old man named Stu Ross on a ladder in the middle of Kenya putting up a cross. Man, I tell you, I just can't shake that. I just can't get that out of my mind. Guy is almost 80 years old on a ladder in the middle of Africa putting up a cross. Is it straight? You see, it's a man like I want to be. A man who, through suffering, brings, God brings the weight and worth of his own life, the life that he's given him through the gospel, the new life, and through daily discipline, becoming, becoming, becoming more of what he intends him to be. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the vision, the vision of Jesus Christ the revelation, not only in the scriptures, but in our own lives as well. Father, would you, in the quiet of this place, in these closing moments, would you help us to receive the word as a two-edged sword, to cut away the old life, to live into the new, in Jesus' name, amen.